everybody out there. It's time for another episode of Star Wars All In, the show where we're going to the people, places, concepts, and things from that galaxy far, far away. We've got a really interesting show set up for you, and we're going to really enjoy it, so we're going to get through this quick. My name is Mac. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Ross. And we've got three good topics to knock out right here with you. I hope you're ready to go. go. It's going to be a lot of fun. Ross, what are we starting with? Mac, we're going to talk about Leia. We're going to talk about Princess General Leia Organo, Organa Skywalker Solo. Right? Is that the right order? Well, it shouldn't be Leia Skywalker Organa You're Solo. Right. It should be Skywalker Princess General Or is it Leia. Amidala? Does she take her mom's no, name? No, I don't. Amidala oh. Organa. Well, Luke Skywalker, live with Solo, Organa. <laughs> All right, we should have figured that out. It doesn't out. matter. You know what? Because we're going to focus on the first yeah. year we meet the princess. We're going to be talking about uh, Princess Leia and Zero BBY, Zero uh, before the Battle of Yavin. We're going to kind of talk about her it, and when we first met her as audiences. We are. Who is Leia at the start of her journey into the Galactic Civil War? Then we're going to head over to publishing and talk about Car Nuke Sin, uh, the lead character from the novel Force Collector, mm-hmm. which takes place about 30 years after those moments we're talking about with Leia. So actually more like 32, give or take. Um, so then, finally, we're going to hop over and explore some droids, some super battle droids. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to talk about Princess Leia about for about 45 minutes. We're going to go in and talk about Car Nuke. Car, Car nuke, nuke we will sin. We're I hope gonna by practice. the time we yeah we're gonna practice. Well, I hope by the time we record that we know what we're doing. Carnuk sin, and we're gonna <laughs> talk to him about for eh, a little bit about half an hour, and then yeah. SPDs we're gonna be a little bit quick, and we're because gonna take no, about to uh, 10 12 minutes talking about them, and it's gonna be a real big blast. We've already meandered enough, so get buckle in, get ready. It's gonna be a blast, and it's gonna start right after this. So we're going to talk about a, a topic. This is kind of weird. We kind of this is a knock on topic. We we started talking a little bit about this in a previous episode, and we said, "Well, this is a whole topic. Why are we doing doing little bits of it?" We're going to talk about Princess Leia, but specifically, we're going to just slice a little tiny piece of life out of here. Yeah. We're going to focus in on the year we meet her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We're going to basically focus, young yeah. Leia is what we're looking at here. Yeah. We're looking at. Leia pretty much up through who she is at the what we consider kind of the onset of the Galactic Civil War, the the mm-hmm. Battle of the First Death Star, the Battle of Yavin. Well, at least in fandom, it's our epoch. It's yeah. the thing that there is before the Battle of Yavin. 
And there is after the Battle of Yavin. <laughs> yeah, we still that that system is still in place. It kind of uh, survived Legends a little bit and uh, has made its way back into this new EU. Uh, and that is uh, the numbering system of Star Wars chronology. So after the Battle of Yavin, ABY, and before the Battle of Yavin, BBY. And we're kind of looking at that uh, that zero year. Mm-hmm. That no matter how you look at it, it's kind of zero because it counts down and then counts up so it's a a bit of an odd system that ends on sort of the zero date but basically we're looking at who is leia uh in a new hope who is she at that point in her life um we'll talk a little bit about her story but i think we want to talk more about her as a character than anything else right yeah and kind of what roles she fulfills as a character yeah so i mean just to kind of spool up here essentially we see at the end of episode three she gets born yeah. And she gets handed off to uh, the Organas, yep. and she's going to be raised in the house of Organa on Alderaan. Mm-hmm. And she, there are a number of stories that have come through. I don't know what's in canon or anything right now, but like the big thing is she joins the diplomatic corps and she starts serving as a princess, which on her world is a more of a political mm-hmm. kind of critter than a. I mean, it's kind of a monarchy, but it, it's more of like it's more how like the actual British monarchy now is. They're more ambassadorial, symbolic. Um, they're goodwill ambassadors. Like, it's not so much like power because Alderaan is diplomatic it, it, or uh, democratic and all that kind of stuff. All the people are elected, but it's they have these these houses, which is just these traditional sort of. I guess power blocks in their civilization. Yeah, it's um, it was definitely fleshed out better in Legends, of course, because it had you know thirty years to do that. In uh, yeah. in current canon, a lot of this uh, sort of prequel story for Leia comes in the Claudia Gray young adult novel Leia, Princess of Alderaan, which is a really interesting story. It was part of the uh, Journey to the Last Jedi material. It basically is, if I remember correctly, a fourteen year old Leia. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, also young uh, Amalyn Holdo, who, if you don't remember, is also from The Last Jedi. Yep. Uh, basically their first meeting. And the book basically takes place at um, this very important nexus for Leia, where she is at a point in her life where her parents want her to sort of have more responsibility. They want her to grow up. Uh, they want her to be part of this political process. You know, her father's a senator. Her mother is the queen. Uh, and they want her to throw her hat into the ring you know they yeah. want her to they, she participates in this junior junior senator program where she has to not only practice the political side of things and you know make uh, political allies and learn to play that game mm-hmm. but she also has to go through this different physical training that is part of her um you know becoming a queen of alderaan so she has all of these sort of tasks she has to uh, undergo that are both of her parents are sort of pushing on her And this whole story is about her sort of unspooling the fact that her parents are supporting this rebellion, this new rebellion that's popping up in the galaxy. And it's sort of how she gets involved in that. Um, And so, you know, this is since this is our first real instance of canon Leia, other than when she's like two minutes old. Yeah. uh, You know, um, it's it's where we get a lot of her story from. And luckily, because it was written by Claudia Gray, it's really, really great. (laughs) <laughs> so, <laughs> let's talk about who Leia is in that story a little bit. Essentially, okay. she's, you know, this 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 person who 
wants to step into the bigger universe, just like Luke does, right? When we meet him at the beginning of A New Hope, right? right? She wants to find her footing. She wants to discover who she is, and she wants to make a difference. Now, we're not going to go into a ton of detail into this story, but it's really the first time Leia experiences hardship and loss and, mm. you know, some of the some of those things that I think can make you um, either a more natural, cynical person or someone who just simply, you know, shall we say, changes or loses some of your morals or ideals once well, she, you've experienced some of those hard she times. Has, she has the chance to be diminished here. Yeah. But it it, it more is, you know, um, pressure and fire that makes her stronger. Yes, totally. And so by the end of the story, while she is kind of broken down in some ways, she has sort of entered the arena of the person she's going to become when we meet her a couple years later. Um, you know, on the Tanta V4. She's stepping up to the plate. Secretly, Bale's going like, your mom was like a queen and throwing off an entire invasion force at your age. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Now, it wouldn't be long after this canonically that uh, we would meet her in Star Wars Rebels. Yes. Delivering some uh, some ships to the Resistance fighters for them to get stolen. Yeah. Secretly under the hand of the Empire. Which is, again, another nice... Mm -hmm. uh, I think all of the Rebels' tips of the cap were pretty nicely reserved. You get a moment with the characters. They're in a place that makes sense. But what I like is it's never like changing the trajectory of these characters' lives both, both sides. Yeah. They're always like... It feels like they incidentally brush with history here. Well, it, you know it, what I mean? The, the Force works in mysterious ways. Right. Ultimately, that's what it comes down to, right? All of these characters are playing a small part in a larger story. I know we don't always think about Luke and Leia only being one part of a story, but realistically they are. They're not the entire story, mm -hmm. even though I think a lot of fans like to pretend like they are. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, I, as we move on to Leia yeah. in sort of her adult years or sort of, you know, prime years that we get to meet her in, uh, 19 at the start of A New Hope. Yeah. So let's talk about there. You know, we first meet Leia, uh, her ship's under attack. Well, so, yeah, I mean, basically we see that. So she, after the events of the book, becomes the senator, one yeah. of the senators of um, Alderaan, which we never really get exactly the idea, but we kind of get the idea that based on the scenes we see in the prequels, that Senator Core is maybe somewhere between, like, it's like a handful of people. It's anywhere from like one to five people or beings are the representation. Yeah. Um, so really big role, especially for someone who's, you know, 18, 19 when they take it over. Oh, for sure. Um, and she has been working with her parents and secretly funding the rebellion, as we saw in Rebels. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the Rebel Alliance is not really formed until shortly before when we meet her in New Hope. But, yeah. you know. It's coming together, and she sort of finally sort of gets in the absolute thick of it when, during the Battle of Scarif, hers is one of the ships that winds up there. They end up getting the, the plans that were beamed from the planet and handed off to the Tantive Four, and she's hustling out of there, hoping to escape the Imperials because they have this wonderful thing of hope this beacon of hope that that terrible machine they just saw on scarif can be stopped yes yes and this is leia's first big assignment her first time yeah. uh shall we say coming out to the empire as a rebel 
You know, mm-hmm. this is this is where they realize 100% for sure that she cannot be trusted. Uh, I also want to point out there's a lot of great dramatic tension in that Leia Princess of Alderaan book between her family and Tarkin. Mm. Uh, so for that kind of good stuff, I highly recommend it too. But yeah, we, we see Leia here. Her ship gets boarded then and she gets captured. Yep. And at this point, she could very easily you know, turn over her, her planet, her family, herself, and, you know, try and make a deal, save Alderaan. Uh, but instead, she keeps up and sticks with her beliefs, right? Well, it, so we see, so let's talk about the character traits we start seeing. So the first, like, thing you see about Princess Leia is the, you know, the reserved, demure princess in this white virgin gown yeah. and wearing these flowing she has this hood she flips back as she's loading up r2d2 and you you have that traditional medieval renaissance kind of like image of of the virgin princess and then she talks and you find that she's this feisty spitfire because she's like the imperial senate will not stand for this (laughs) she is dressing down darth vader with zero fear (laughs) and she's so much smaller than (laughs) she's so tiny which i just find so funny in that moment too oh yeah obviously vader's so large yeah and we've just seen uh vader kill the captain by lifting him up over his head which means like the captain dies when he's like eight feet tall because of how tall vader is (laughs) so yeah you have this giant black mountain monolith guy that this little petite white princess is just screaming at (laughs) yeah yeah and i and i do like how as someone who's so young in the galaxy but so experienced mm-hmm. she knows who vader is obviously she knows who tarkin is we you know we learn that later so she they're proving to us i mean obviously you know seeing that movie for the first time we had no idea how old she was or oh, you know yeah. what her life experiences was but they're proving to us that she's not afraid to take a stand and obviously it's a really great character trait for her to have but think about how awesome that was to have in the late seventies, you know, this, this strong female character who wasn't just set dressing or who wasn't just there for a joke or a punchline or, you know, it's important. We're going to see it many times through our little exploration here, but like one of the big things that um, Lucas did a good job of is he has the damsel in distress princess and he subverts it every chance he gets. Cause like even at the beginning, again, it's a beautiful girl in this, you know, this flowing gown and no she's like a super ticked off like liberation (laughs) front front like you could see her hold you know she can hold and wield a blaster because she's just she's so passionate and so she doesn't take any crap and i love the fact her her at the time especially when you now watch it with rogue one leading into new hope where we're like where we make the joke often about the fact of like like you know if this is a consular ship where's the ambassador it's like we intercepted no transmissions like bull crap i was standing on a docking bay watching you leave (laughs) right there's a certain level of charge to that scene where they're bluffing when they're talking about the consulate mission and all that kind of stuff yeah so when diplomatic mission so when Vader is chewing her out and, and she just sa- says, I'm a member of the Imperial Senate and like is just delivering it. I love the second officer. The Imperial officer is like, you know, she's right. We could get into huge trouble for attacking an ambassador, you know, attacking a senator outright. And Vader's like, oh, leave that to me. Yeah. But I like that, again, her feistiness is 
effective. Like, mm-hmm. people who aren't Darth Vader are going, ooh, just pulling at the collar oh. with their two fingers a little bit, going, like, maybe we should do Showing that her strategy and her uh, demeanor tends to work. Yeah. Right? Like, she has a plan and a strategy, and we don't know it yet, but she is prepared for a situation like this. She yeah. has plans on plans on plans. It's so great. And so for kind of the the rest of the frame, she gets taken off to a dungeon, yeah. which eventually leads to her being put on the, the Star Destroyer and shipped back to the Death Star. But for our view of the movie, we come back to this fantasy character, this this monomyth stand-in, the, 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 the princess. Yeah. Because for the next bit of the movie, we're only seeing her as a hologram. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the next time we see her is Luke's messing around with R2 and boom, help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. And Luke's like, well, I want to be a gallant knight. I want to go save the princess. <laughs> She's in trouble. She Play back the help. whole message. <laughs> um, and it's great because we get to see, you know, Luke and Luke is on that same journey because the, the twins have the same trip. The difference is Leia has the opportunity to be a public figure and that shaped her. Luke has been hidden on this backwater. He's had nothing to do but dream of not being here. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And he is so excited to go on the adventure. And he sets himself up for that. And, of course, we go through the journey of him denying that and going, like, well, my uncle would be real mad if I left and all this kind of stuff. Because when we finally have him chasing down R2-D2 and getting to Ben and Ben Kenobi going like, well, it looks like I found the message. We see the kind of bridge point between her character because we see the help me Obi-Wan Kenobi at the end. That's what clauses it. But you have the, I have a plan. Yeah. There was always a plan in place. And that scene you saw at the beginning of the movie of me loading something. Now, you know what it is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Cause you know, it's like you serve my, my father in the clone wars. Uh, you know, I know you're a great general and I know you're here. I'm trusted with that information. My father trusts me with that. And I need you because this is the most vital piece of uh, information we have. And your plan's the closest one I could get to before hyperspace, you know, we, <laughs> before we got caught by the empire. So yeah. um, general Kenobi, I've seen the clone wars tapes. You're a really awesome person. And I'm sure you haven't aged. You're probably fine. Could you, can I ask you a question about that? You just yeah. said something that just piqued my curiosity a little bit that I had never actually thought about. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't a coincidence she was on her way to Tatooine, right? She was going to bring Obi-Wan into the fray. I So we'll, we'll never know until they relate, write some piece of information. Well, but in Rogue but... One, Mon Mothma and Bale have that conversation about, you need to go get your Jedi friend, right? And Bale goes, oh, I'm sending someone I trust. And Mon, and Mon Mothma goes, can you trust her? Yeah. And but, he, right? So, so he you get to this weird question Leia. that I think Leia may have had that mission to get Kenobi. Yeah. But then it does it get derailed when she goes to Scarif? And then she just go when she leaves Scarif, is like, well, we can get there. Yeah. Maybe Obi-Wan can help us, yeah. right? Is she getting back on her normal mission, or was the goal all the time that we need a Jedi yeah. to help protect this? I don't know. Um, I don't know. Like you said, I don't know if there's an answer, but I find that interesting to think of the plan of heading in the direction of Tatooine. Well, it definitely... Okay, so yeah. being a complete nerd as I push my glasses up yeah. my nose, I mean, not that maps make sense in Star Wars, Yeah, but... In theory, Scarif shouldn't be his outer rim 
as Tatooine. Yeah. Tatooine is like on the edge of wild space. It right. is absolutely on the other side of the place. And so an Imperial stronghold, even a secret one like Scarif, isn't going to be that close to Hut space. Yeah. So I feel like her her decision to go to Tatooine is deliberate. She is not trying to go to Tatooine via Alderaan. Wherever she can get to, basically. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, I think you're right in the sense of, yeah, she's she's got the plans, and I think it's a twofold plan. She's going to go back on Obi-Wan because that's probably what her – oh, there you go. That's probably what her flight plan is. That's probably what she registered to the Senate of where she was going and what she was doing. You know, that she was on a diplomatic mission to bring someone from Tatooine back to Alderaan, right? Yeah, right. And and that's probably them kind of going back there because, again, if you're being chased Imperials, you lock in with your official diplomatic mission. And, yeah, so maybe it's not as much of a bluff that she's hmm. like, like, I'm on a diplomatic from Alderaan. If you check the records, you'll see where we're supposed to be. <laughs> But I saw you in Scarif. You must have confused us with some other blockade runner that has our same transponder code. Yeah, easy to we're, do. We're different, obviously. Look, look <laughs> just talk to the Senate Travel Bureau. You'll find I already logged this plan. <laughs> okay. So we know um, how Leia essentially ends up where she does. Right. So right. now. So we got the whole crew. What else do we see from her? Well, so we've, so we've seen, again, this kind of bridge where she has a plan. She's yeah. got this goal. Um, but she's still on that pedestal because Luke's still like, well, the, I've got a laser sword now, so I'll go save the princess. Probably get a kiss. This will be great. He's ready. Yeah, he's ready to become the, the er errant knight. He's ready to go on the quest. Yeah. And they get to Alderaan. Alderaan's gone. They get pulled into a tractor beam. They're, they're, they've hidden in stormtrooper armor. They've gotten as far as to get into this watch post, kill the stormtroopers there. They're sitting in there, and they're going, oh, how do we get out of this mess? And then they're like, she keeps he keeps screaming that she's here. She's here. Who? And then they find out that Princess Leia's aboard the Death Star with an execution order. Yeah. And she earned that execution order because Tarkin signed it just a little while ago when he blew up Alderaan. <laughs> and, I mean, this is probably the most honest moment of her character. There's no front, because I think her bravado is great, but it's it's a defense mechanism. I mean, she's yelling at, at Vader at the beginning of this movie because she is, you know, against the wall. So she's fight or flight. Her fight is, listen, the Imperial said it. Like, she just, yeah. she uses what cards are in her table. When she comes onto the deck of the, I don't know, the firing center of the of the Death Star, you know, it's like, oh, Governor Tarkin, I should have been surprised that you were holding Vader's leash. Like, she's got that bravado again. Yeah, and he's like pushing her. Like, I need the, I need the base. If you don't give it to me, I'm gonna blow up Alderaan, Ron. And then you see the vulnerability come into her of just like, no, you can't. Yeah, <laughs> like we're peaceful. And then there's a part of me that's going with Tarkin who's like, yeah, and you're funding a rebellion, you peaceniks. Like, <laughs> there's a certain level of, it's not like they're like Gandhi in a, a war of non-aggression or anything. Like, yeah. 
at least the House of Regatta is totally underwriting a war. <laughs> they may not have blasters on planet, but they're paying for a lot of blasters to go uh, to other planets. They definitely are. They definitely are. They're sending ships and everything everywhere. So again, we get to see this feisty exterior that she she has this armor up version of herself of how she's protected herself, how she's got her reputation, how she gets stuff done in the political arena. Mm -hmm. And then it falls when her homeworld is under such a direct threat. And then she is crushed when she gives up, like she's got this ace in her home. Like, okay, there's a planet that will, they'll go and look at it. It's remote enough. It'll take them forever. By the time they figure it out, I'll figure out something else. Yeah. They're like, oh, Datooine. They're on Datooine. She sells it pretty well with her acting. Yeah. And he's like, oh, Datooine, that's remote. Not good for an effective demonstration. Anyway, continue. Yeah. And she's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh, you know, Carrie Fisher go, does, I think, great, because there's, there's three Leia's in that scene. There's the feisty senator we saw yep. yelling at Vader. Yep. There is this vulnerable young lady who is super worried about what she's about to give up either her home world or the rebellion yep and when she plays her last card her last trump she gets outplayed you know she's like yeah. i got three of a kind he's like i got a full house yeah they, <laughs> they call they call her on it for sure and it's interesting because in that moment Obviously, she's <laughs> upset about what's happening to her planet. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, she still does not give up the rebel base. Yeah, she's still I mean, fighting. Ultimately, right? She she is not breaking to their torture, to their torment. Um, she is sticking oh, yeah. strong with her beliefs here. I forgot. Yeah, there's a microscopic scene in between here yeah. where, where the probe, the medical probe droids coming in yeah. to the interrogate her. Mm -hmm. I kind of forgot it because all it is is her looking at this terrible floating death ball and yeah. slinking away from it. Yeah, reasonable reaction. Yeah, being scared of needles in general. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but more importantly, what we see at the beginning of the scene referencing that is the fact that she's held up under torture. Mm -hmm. She, she, as Tarkin says, she'll never willingly give up the the base. Yeah, they've expended their options, you know, their options of getting it out of her. So now they're saying, well, if, you know, we can't break her, let's try and break her planet. This Tarkin's like, like, oh, probe droids, interrogation droids, Pfft, amateurs. They should see what real mental torture and stress is. I'm the king. Because he's a, he's a monster. Uh, yep. And uh, so then yeah. Leia eventually ends up back in her cell. Yep. Right? Like, that's the end. Her planet's blown up. We see her there. She's uh, sad. She's devastated, but stuck to her guns and probably not give sitting up the in base. that cell thinking of fact of like, I'm so glad I said Datooine because I realize now that whatever I would have said, he was going to blow up Alderaan anyway. Yeah. Mostly because I don't know if the, the book you were talking about where they talk about the Organas and uh, Tarkins and the tension between them, but like, I feel like Tarkin knows oh, yeah. about the subversives being fueled by the Aristotle. Oh, Tarkin 100% knows. Yeah, so when I think he chose Alderaan, I think that was always on, like, the, all right, dear diary, top ten planets I want to blow up with my new toy. <laughs> as as soon as they captured Leia, yeah, I think Alderaan was yeah. toast. Top ten, and then eleven and twelve are just these, like, scrawled extras of Jeddah, I guess, Scarif, I guess. <laughs> um... 
So the next thing we see is Leia's probably sitting there thinking about how like, oh well, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna die, but I'm I'm dying as a martyr. I I you know I did my part. The rebellion's still safe. Hope will still go on. You know, the the destruction of my planet will probably lead more to the cause because even th- there's no way for them to cover up this atrocity kind of yeah. thing. And then this short stormtrooper comes in into the cell and she's like, well, I guess it's time to. I guess I'm not going to be executed. What the heck's your deal? You're kind of short for a stormtrooper. <laughs> what the uniform? And then he pulls off his helmet and we get to see the next act of Leia's character. Mm-hmm. Leader. 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 Yeah. So, so far we have not seen Leia in control. So far right. Leia has been, um, well, on back. the ropes in one way or another. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So when she gets out of her cell, this is the first chance that we really get to see her be a leader, which, to be fair, Han and Luke are not yet, really. No. In, in any way. <laughs> um, so you no. basically have Obi-Wan kind of guiding this mission, and they need someone else, someone there who can not only have experience in battle and in war, but also just sort of this life experience that Luke most certainly doesn't have. And while Han has experience, he's most certainly not trying to, you know, (laughs) use any of his virtuistic traits to impact the galaxy as a whole like Leia is. Mm -hmm. So when Leia essentially gets out of the cell block and they're basically trapped, you know. (laughs) Yeah, they get out of the cell block and she's like, oh, okay, well, I'm glad I'm not being executed. I guess I'll follow the short stormtrooper, his friend, and this dog they brought. (laughs) And I guess we'll go to, I'm sorry, uh, is that laser blaster fire? Are you... Are you kidding me? <laughs> this was your plan? This? Really? And that's when she takes over. She grabs the blaster rifle. We see her shooting. She comes up with the plan to get into the garbage chute. Right? That's all her. Their escape from the cell block would not have happened Yeah, without and, her. Yeah, because and what I, I like to read into this, which is totally speculation, but I like the idea of like, yeah, that's the garbage chute. That's how we get out. Well, how do you know about that? I'm always looking for how I could get out of here. I've been drug out of here like four times. Every time <laughs> I'm dragged out, I'm looking for how to get out of here. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, I love that. Yeah, and <laughs> she, yeah, she blows up the door and she says, "Yeah, it's just like who the heck is this this laser brained fly boy? Boy, he's the brain sister, the short hayseed. <laughs> <laughs> you idiots." <laughs> And down the garbage chute. And then uh, we go through, uh, you know, um, down in the trash compactor. And we can see her trying to keep her composure as this plan fails even more. (laughs) Um, And it's right after that we see Leia like, okay, look, I picked up the gun to uh, take control of you guys back in the cell block. But we're done (laughs) with any negotiation about anyone else having independence here. We're going to follow my lead because, unlike you two, I'm not an idiot. I'm going to actually get us out of here. Yeah. And so she really asserts herself here um, to the point, as we may have mentioned in a previous episode, to the point of, like, kind of being a speciesist towards a Wookiee. Uh, it's a little, little, a little hard for a senator. Yeah. But she's, she's I, had I a really bad stress. day. Yeah, she's had I a think, real bad day. Yeah, I think it's just stress. She and, can slip up, you know. And maybe she loves shag carpeting. She's like, who's this charming shag carpet who's walking around? I don't know. Um, and so then we have the, the Death Star yeah. escape. And yeah. we see some great little moments of her character of, like, she weirdly respects Han Solo just a tiny, tiny bit. Where she's like, you came in that? 
Okay, I can see why your plan's ill-conceived, but the fact you guys are going through it, you must be brave. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, no matter how bad the plan is, at least they're there. Right. At least they're there. No one else, no one else came to help. All nope. those lazy bums on Alderaan. <laughs> yeah, you, she's like, I remember I remember hearing Dad talk about that meeting back in Yavin 4. They were probably all just talking about, like, well, we should, but... Oh. <laughs> It's so hard to be a rebel, and, and it'll hurt us and stuff. I mean, um, we lost all of our ships. We Admittedly, they we did. Like they did like eight X-Wings left. <laughs> so how many capital ships did we lose? All of them. <laughs> we only had, like, four. And we lost all of them. <laughs> Radis gone. It's not It's not good. Well, I guess we'll have to turn to Captain Akbar. Akbar, you're an admiral now. Congratulations. <laughs> um, And so... They get split up, so Han, Han and Chewie start going off in one direction, and Luke and Leia go in another direction. This is where we start to get to see see the they-don't-know-it-yet-but-the-twins mm-hmm. really interact with each other for the mm-hmm. first time. Yep, yep. Uh, and what do they do? They end up uh, running through a door that has a chasm, and Luke shoots the controls to seal the door. And then Leia's like, all right, well, extend the bridge. I think I just shot them. You uh, idiots. I let you take the reins for one minute. <laughs> and then they're taking the knot cover in the five inches of door frame yeah. as they're shooting it at all these people. And uh, Luke kind of redeems himself by figuring out, like, well, I could swing across it. Uh, you know, spinning's a good idea. Good. Cool. Yeah, good plan. This fishing line. I'm sure it'll be okay. Yeah. Uh, synth rope. Yeah, right. Of course. Of course. Made of liquid. Yeah. Comes out as a... Anyway, that's a technology... Uh... Yeah, we're gonna we'll have get, that topic someday. We, yeah, we'll save that topic. Talk about synthro. So, um, <laughs> so they kind of escape, and I'm trying to think. Yeah. Does she really have any? I don't. I can't think of a whole lot of really good lines because she pr- we pretty much get to the Falcon. Yeah, and her biggest thing is just screaming to Luke, trying to appeal to him. Of like, she apparently cares about this kid enough that while he's sitting there dumbfounded, looking at at Obi Wan's d- death, she's like, "You, we gotta go, kid." Yeah. And I, so I think the next big Leia moment, because we have the escape from the Death Star and all that, and we have then the TIE fighters, right, where they shoot out the four TIEs, and she's in the cockpit with Chewie. Yeah. But her next moment really comes from uh, talking to Han and the rest of the gang about it's the only reason for the ease of our escape. She's yeah. the only one smart enough to see Vader's actual plan here, which was to let them go, to lure them to their base. And, of course, Sansa is like, not this ship, sister. <laughs> and she's like, look, they're really clever. I'm sure you tried real hard, but, like, somewhere. Yeah. They're either watching our hyperspace vector or they've got a track. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, the point of the matter is the plans are safe. We're going to find a weakness and we're going to blow that thing up. Maybe not on the terms we want, but I trust. We see this as an absolute win. Yeah, the, 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 she's got that confidence yeah. of the things she has sacrificed, her homeworld, her the entire rebel fleet, mm-hmm. the uh, General Kenobi, mm-hmm. all this sacrifice, she has 100% confidence. It's got to be worth it. Yes. And so they arrive on Yavin 4. Mm-hmm. And really, the last of Leia that we see here is on this planet in this film. So mm-hmm. we see her in the war room, essentially preparing for the attack. Right. And right. being part of that command staff. Yeah. I mean, 
admittedly the way the movie is framed i mean she's mostly just being there looking concerned that's <laughs> yeah that's that's the one kind of downside to her character is once we get back here it's a uh, general dodonna right yeah so uh sort of takes over and she's kind of off to the side so as the death star attack is happening she's sort of with 3po looking concerned around the you know around the command table uh, and then we see her celebrating at the end, and then eventually we get to the medal ceremony. Yeah, and this is where we see why I'm okay with her being a little sidelined in the last act, which is Leia is an ambassador, a politician, and a symbol. Like, her whole thing is she's not leading the charge in the Death Star and planning the attack because she's not that kind of general yet. <laughs> You know what I yeah, mean? Like I gotcha. she spent her entire life in the diplomatic corps. She's a spy and a um, benefact, you know, someone who's um, moving resources to the rebellion. That's what her role yeah. has been up to that now. Yeah. And now that she's in exile yeah. because the Imperial Senate's been dissolved, her planet's been blown up. She's, she's a number one criminal in yeah. uh, the Imperial dockets. Like I think between here and empire, you're going to see her start learning tact she's she's got to find a new role she can't be the face of yeah the the public face of the rebellion because she doesn't have a public face anymore so i think she be, evolves well i totally agree it, it's interesting now where we are i mean you know in 78 this was a totally different spot but oh, we're yeah. at a point now where the rebellion doesn't truly form sorry the galactic alliance for free so I can't remember what what do they use? There's an acronym. Oh, you're thinking of you know you're thinking of the uh, Galaxy Far Far Away Universe, which is in yeah. canon and dead. The the Galactic Federation of Free Alliances. No. Yeah. What this is That's is, right. They they renamed it, didn't they? What is the, the So the Rebel Alliance yeah. is its name to the they world. And the reason no no, the reason yeah. it's called that yeah. is because its official name by the people who started it is the Alliance for the Restoration of the Republic. That's right. That's what I was trying because to Because the remember. whole goal of the yeah. rebellion is to undo the executive powers Palpatine took him for himself and right. remove the Imperial. It's it's Bail and those 1,000 signatures of the... Yeah. Um, uh, I can't remember their name. The, not Loyalists, but the... Is it Loyalists? I don't remember, but, honestly. And, yeah. But the people who want to preserve and, and yeah. undo the Clone War acts and get back to the Republic as it was. Yeah. And while the Rebellion begins that way... At a certain point, like, they build a new Republic afterwards because the old Republic has been so corrupted and destroyed by the Empire yeah. um, that even the Rebels start just being fine called Rebels. <laughs> yeah. Which, I mean, makes sense, right? Sometimes you just got to let the past die. Yeah. But that's where we get the term alliance, is yeah. the alliance for the restoration of the Republic. That's right. Okay. So... It doesn't really start here until this moment. The Battle of the Death Star, the reason why this is such a turning point and the reason we think it's an interesting point for Leia is because really up until this battle, she's one thing. Yeah. And then after this battle, she becomes something else. Yes. She becomes not, I don't want to say, well, she becomes a military operative. Well, I think I guess the biggest thing is she goes from being an asset. Yeah. And a, a a useful tool in the official channels of trying to support the rebellion or give them the breathing room they need. Because mm -hmm. we see through rebels that there are tons of rebellious forces in the yes. galaxy, but they're all a hydra. They're all these heads swimming in different directions. Yes. 
it's not till the events of rebels that some of them start glomming together into um, an organization. And by the time of the battle of Scarif is the first time enough of these cells come together to be a one united front in a battle. Yeah. And you know, after Yavin, that's when they recruit as a single army. There Mm -hmm. are no cells of the rebellion anymore. There is the rebel Alliance. Mm -hmm. There is the one face Mm -hmm. of the rebellion. And Leia is in the like top five of people running that and making that happen. And I think one of the only other things we have in Canon, we can mention right here. That's really kind of puts a wreath on that. It's the Leia comic book that Marvel produced. We see like the scene immediately after the, the, um, metal ceremony and people have left out and in this throne room, this assembly hall, there's a memorial for Alderaan because everyone in that room, Alderaan is the battle cry. This is yeah. how the, to be blunt, this is the propaganda that's going to carry the rebellion forward and yeah. make them a full standing army is once people ask the questions about Alderaan and go, I'm sorry, you, you said it was a natural disaster started by mining. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no yeah you get a lot of loose change out there where people are like no this doesn't make sense <laughs> um and and they they piece it together that you know yeah. that alderaan is this atrocity the empire caused just out of their own well, hubris and then the empire tries to spin it that the uh rebels are the bad ones for blowing up the death star they killed millions of people how could they <laughs> after we peacefully went and took our 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 peace star around yep. and delivered peace to planets <laughs> like Alderaan. They they those monsters killed a whole bunch of Imperial authors and Wookiee slaves. Can Can't you believe? Remember <laughs> when the galaxy was great, like five years ago, when there were no rebels? <laughs> okay. Can we not do better and bring the galaxy back to its prime? way of life we were on a path to greatness and these subvertives <laughs> are how just ruin it how could they and next thing you know they want public health care jeez um all right so, so anyway maybe a little too on the nose there anyway the point of the matter is so leia like walks over and she uh meets a companion that she's going to go through that comic i don't really want to go into that but like yeah she gets like i think the last piece of, of mention here is we see that symbol because they're like you're you're our queen now you're you're the queen of alderaan yeah you're of all the people who are alderanians scattered across the galaxy who weren't home when this happened you are our leader you're the only one left and you have to be strong and you have to be our symbol because you're the last remnants of our culture and what we cling to Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and leia like is digesting that because it's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot to take in. It is. But she rises to the occasion and uh, she becomes who she's meant to be. And, and lives um, her entire life that way. And and I think that we we kind of um, have hit this a few times. But like, I really do think that in New Hope is the most dynamic and interesting we see Leia. And I think it's because we see her in a number of different lights and contexts. Mm-hmm. And she's different things Mm -hmm. where we get some of that, but it's more of exploring her personal life Mm -hmm. in later movies, like uh, how she's following for Han Solo Mm -hmm. or the feeling she has about her family and digesting. Mm -hmm. She has a brother and who her father actually Mm -hmm. is. 
Um, you know, there's a lot of personal journeys that are to come, but like she settles into this symbol of the rebellion, this leader who is someone who can rally people yeah. and lead them yeah. and get them to fight and die for causes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's who she is yeah. to be blunt for the rest of her storytelling. Cause she's, she's still that a little more upfront. There's no Mon Mothma, no Jadanagar to get in her way when we get to the sequel trilogy, but she is still that person who is leading people on righteous causes mm-hmm. and is asking people to do horrible things to make, make the galaxy a better place. Like yeah. she understands. I mean, we especially see this in last Jedi. Like she knows you have to send people to their death. She's learned that as a general now. Mm-hmm. And she is much more at peace with that because of all the stuff she's gone through. Yeah. Um, well, she's, I mean, I think what you're saying is throughout her life, she essentially becomes wiser. Yeah. Right. She, she understands that, Death is inevitable, right? That war is part of this, that you need war for change. Right. But at the same time, she doesn't want that to be the case, right? She doesn't want anyone to die. She wants to end the fighting. She wants to be a diplomat. She wants to hold to her adoptive family and and world. And I think, I think to be honest, I think her duty to Alderaan and that kind of thing is what also grounds her to never seeking vengeance Mm -hmm. for her. It's about putting the world back to whole. So things like Alderaan can't happen. It's not about getting revenge for Alderaan. She never goes that route. And you see that, especially in the resistance, uh, you know, it's not about crushing the first order. It's about, you know, it's about protecting people from it. Mm-hmm. You know, saving what d- we love, d- not killing what we hate. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. We, yes. You, yeah. Um, I, I mean, she's, she's great. Yeah. <laughs> she's yes. great. And again, this experience here in zero BBY is, is the fulcrum of her character. Um, because all the ingredients that make Leia Leia start here yeah. and everything's an extrapolation out of that. Yes. Um, and it's pretty fantastic. It is. Um, Leia is a character. The reason we wanted to talk about her today, or one of the reasons we wanted to talk about her, was that I I really think that Leia is a character we're going to learn more about mm. as we go forward. I think um, what we've seen of Leia and of Leia using the Force and of Leia being this leader and... Um, you know, this important figure in history, I think her character is only going to become more prominent. I mean, we saw a a huge boost to her responsibility and her role in The Rise of Skywalker Mm -hmm. as a character, and I think that's only going to continue in uh, content like comic books and novels. Especially. You know, going forward, I think we're going to get more. I mean, heck, we're getting our second Padme book later this year. So if we can That's get two cool. Padme books, uh, we can well, get more Leia. And, and we've mentioned one of our favorite books in the canon is uh, Bloodlines, which mm-hmm. really shapes how this person who believes in democracy and, and, and is fighting for the Republic she helped, the new Republic she helped build, ends up as a frontline general in a ragtag resistance group that's trying yeah. to like fight off the expansion of the First Order. And it's a really logical, wonderful yeah. way that it happens. Absolutely. Um, 
Leia's character is a through line for the entire story. Totally. Um, more so than almost anyone. And I think that makes her incredibly interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I hope that we get to learn more about her, even though we have so much of her in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Awesome. So you want to talk about another Force user next? Sure. All right. You know, in the last couple of years, well, really, all last year, (laughs) as of the time of this recording, (laughs) we have gotten a lot of Force users who uh, can sense the history of objects just by touching them. Psychometry. Yeah, we've gotten Quinlan Voss would have mm-hmm. been the the first kind of in in canon uh you know yeah. he was in the clone wars a little bit but then really it comes to light in the dark disciple novel mm-hmm. then we had cal Kestis, mm-hmm. right in uh jedi fallen order yep. and now we've got <laughs> car nuke sin rolls off the tongue car nuke sin so it, yeah it, it is a weird name it, it is right especially for a human well Okay, so you may have heard me throw this theory out before, but I'm going to throw it out one more time. Now that Disney owns Star Wars, one thing that's a little bit different about the Disney machine is the Disney machine has learned the hard way many times to make sure the words you use are not internationally offensive. Yeah, They try to avoid names or things that are going to be problematic. And it's especially a problem with Star Wars because Star Wars... Well, you can get away with some things like that are real names, like Luke. That's fine. There's a zillion Lukes around the world. We're good. But when you get to something like Caleb Doom, like let's go make sure that's not a bad word in some other language. Yeah. So I, I always take some of the stuff with that grain of salt of this is something that they check to make sure isn't a swear in German or Cantonese <laughs> or, you know, whatever. I mean, so, I, I that's all totally fine, but still. But so it's still K- it's no Dak Ralter. K A R R space. Yeah. N U Q. Yep. Space. S I N. So I would probably say Karnook Soon. Yeah, Nook. I, I I would definitely pronounce the Q as a K sound. Yeah, right? Karnook Soon. Karnook Soon. Karnook Soon. Karnook Soon. Yeah. Well, let's talk about it. Anyway. Him. So Karnook Soon. Uh, what. I'm just going to call him from this point on the force collector because that's the novel he stars in. Yeah, that's uh, his job. That's right. Well, yes, it is. And that's what we're going to talk about. So we're not going to talk about the entire novel today, but I do want to point out that this character only appears in this one story. So this is it. <laughs> when we're talking about this character, we are talking about the one book he's in. Mm-hmm. However, we're not doing a full book review. We're talking about him more as a character. So what I want to tell you a little bit, because Mac, you haven't read this, right? I'm the only not. one who's read this. So this book is interesting because it was part of the journey to the Rise of Skywalker material, but it takes place before The Force Awakens, hmm. which to me was the first kind of interesting red flag about this one. 
It's also one of the young reader or sorry, young adult novels. Yeah. Um, so it's not, uh, you know, it's not the highest level of novel, but it's, it's definitely a, a type of story that we've gotten lots of good information before. It depends on who you ask. YA does sell more than any other yeah. book type right now. So, Oh, that's fair. That's fair. And but, to be but the fair, point is, in our last topic, we talked about another young adult book. So. Well, I think the biggest thing about YA is YA right now is very popular because yeah. it's the broadest stroke. Yeah. It's written for anyone from about like 14 and up. Yeah. And so I guess it's like the PG, PG 13 yeah. of, books as far as like content you'll find in it which gives it totally fair gives it the broadest audience possible not that star wars is getting to like rated r books or anything but like you're not going to get bloodlines where they're basically talking about diplomatic maneuvers in a senate you're going to get more straightforward stories and to be fair some of those young adult star wars books are the best out of all oh yeah so highly recommended i don't want to turn anyone off to those but basically this book force collector came out in november 2019 so literally a month before the film this was the last book we were getting um as a tie and it came out after resistance reborn which was the big tie-in book everybody was waiting for yep uh and this book was odd because it doesn't really connect directly to episode nine it no. barely connects to the Skywalker saga. So let's talk a little bit about the broad strokes of the novel sure. first. And then I have a couple questions I want to kind of talk through. Okay. Okay. So Karnuk Soon, we've said he's a 13-year-old human male. Okay. Okay. Um, very much, uh, if you want to look up the cover for this book, I think that is the only artist picture of him. Um, but if you want to look it up to see what he looks like, um, just imagine a young bed solo. So if you were trying to trick people into buying your book... You know, um, I don't think it's just imagine that painful, that. but yeah, he he's cut from the exact same cloth. It, it's a bit odd. It's a bit odd. Um, so <laughs> we have this character, and basically, at the age of thirteen, he starts experiencing these um, these headaches, these kind of the, these kind of moments in time where he's sort of like blacking out or can't function. Right. And his parents are convinced it's a medical thing. They've had him to all the best doctors on their kind of remote world. Um, you know, the, the, they think there's a tumor or there's something wrong with him. And his grandmother, who, he, you know, lives with them, the family house, his parents are tailors, you know, they have a nice, modest, well-kept home, uh, you know, making a nice, honest living, not fighting any wars, no war profits. Doing pretty good in the New yeah. Republic world. Yeah, they're doing okay. And, um, well, basically... Karnukson's grandmother dies and mm-hmm. she leaves him a message saying, so uh, my grandfather was a Jedi. Well, my father, his great grandfather mm-hmm. was a Jedi. And uh, I think you have that power too. And I think that's what's going on. And I think that if you find out about the Jedi, you might be able to learn to control your powers. I've tried to teach you what I could without your parents, you know, being mad at me. Basically they're his, his parents, stopped him from learning about the Jedi and their history. And um, basically, he sets off on an adventure. They're going to sign up for this school for the Skywalker School, but apparently it burnt down. So. <laughs> now, wouldn't that be something? Because that's honestly where I thought this might have been going mm-hmm. uh, at first. So basically, um, he sets off on this adventure throughout the galaxy, trying to collect artifacts from the age of the Republic and the Empire. Right, which for us as readers is a great way for us to 
have a character explore facets of the galaxy in a way that is forward facing. Yeah. We're in the sequel sequel universe. We are dealing with the new Republic and the way this world is, and we know what's coming in force awakens. And so it's kind of fun to see this kind of, how does the world interpret Jedi and their relics and their spaces and stuff in this context? Cause we have so little to go on, on, what that 30 year period is well 20 something period yeah. from the end of the battle of jakku where the imperials end all the way to like uh the the first order's attacks on Hossian prime yeah there's a big gap there especially towards the force awakens end of like what is what is life in the galaxy like what do people feel what are people yeah, doing there, we, there's a few little things that are smattered in but for the most part we don't know yeah. Right. And what's interesting is Carr goes off on his adventure with a friend, the daughter of a First Order Imperial officer. Mm. Well, not Imperial, First Order officer. Um, it's interesting because this is before the First Order has taken power. So at this point, they're like a military group, they're like a militia. You yeah, know, that is a taken, military junta. Yeah, that has taken a stand in the outer rim, you know, towards unknown space. But the Republic is kind of letting them be. Now, that's a story for another day. We're not going to get into the political ramifications of the new but Republic. But suffice to say, the First Order isn't the First Order yet, because right now yeah. they seem like, hey, where the, where the Republic's reach can't go, we'll yeah. bring order. It's worth pointing out, basically, that the First Order existed and was functioning before their destruction of Hosnian Prime. Yes. Basically, they were hiding from the galaxy. Yes. that That's basically um, not quite a Hydra situation, but in the same vein of yeah, like, yeah. no one really knows they're existing and the people that do know are covering it up in the government because they want a military coup. Right, right. Basically, <laughs> let's let's. I mean, let, you know, call it what it is. Right. Yeah, they're they're um, laying in wait to make their move, and yeah. they won't do that till the Force awakens. Yeah. So, this adventure happens, and I'm not going to go through all the details, but you know, he essentially through going through uh, his travels, and he ends up on different planets. He um, gets different artifacts that connect well, him through different areas of time throughout the Skywalker saga. Well, I, I, I just threw out the term from like psychic phenomenon of psychometry. The yes. idea when you touch an object, you can understand things about it, you know, yeah. the measure of it from the mind. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think they actually call it that in star Wars, but like, why don't you tell me what are some of the artifacts he finds and what kind of, what does that power feel like? So he finds, um, I think it starts out with an Imperial helmet. Mm. Okay, of a trooper who was aboard the Death Star, if I remember oh, correctly. Okay. Um, now, I read this book when it came out, and I didn't reread it for today's episode like I should have. But having said oh, that, you, okay. um, you know, a, a helmet uh, from an Imperial trooper, and he ends up... Oh, I should also point out, he kind of wears these gloves with him everywhere he goes. So he has, between his black gloves and his black arm wraps, also has that Kylo Ren look as well. Um <laughs> So as he goes around and he's touching these objects, it kind of all culminates mm-hmm. where he ends up um, in Maz Kanata's castle. Oh, okay. And he ends up um, with the medal of Luke Skywalker from the Yavin ceremony. Oh, it ended up there. Okay. And um, by by touching that, he ends up basically understanding the entire history of the Skywalker saga. Um, 
Huh. And so by by touching these objects, he basically learns who because he starts out knowing a little bit about who Obi-Wan Kenobi was. Right. And then he kind of finds out, okay, who Luke Skywalker is, who Anakin Skywalker is, what happened on the Death Star. Um, you know, all these different characters that have been part of our story, he basically uncovers it. And then there's kind of a little stop in the action where, you know, he goes back home. He thinks his adventure's over. He thinks he's going to tailoring school. And then he ends up on one last adventure where he's basically guided to this planet where he ends up meeting um, his very elderly great-grandfather. Oh, okay. And he basically learns the story that his grandfather was a Padawan of the Jedi Council, of, of the Jedi Order, who left the Order to start a family as a Padawan. He decided, like, you know, this life wasn't for me. Not one of the Lost 21. Yeah, and then his... Um, he was basically away for a few years and then order 66 happened and he goes, well, okay, I've got to go into hiding. He basically abandons his young child, his daughter and his wife and goes into hiding. And whether it's the will of the force or just his, you know, genetics of whatever species he is, well, human, um, he lives to an extremely old age to where he basically is able to talk to and meet his grandson. And Mm -hmm. um, through getting his father's lightsaber and all that, he's able to sort of understand his place in the world now, he feels. He understands that he isn't necessarily the one determined to become a Jedi. His purpose may be something else. And this is the reason why I wanted to talk about this story in general, is we have this whole lead up, this entire book. And it's not just a Star Wars book. You know, we have 50 or so of them in the new canon at this point. It is a Star Wars book that is part of the journey to the rise of Skywalker. That is the very last book that comes out before the final film in the Skywalker saga. And, to have a book that has a very specific, shall we say, lesson. Yeah. Uh, not lesson. That's not the right word, but that's what I'm going to use anyway. Basically, the the idea of the book, the gist of the book, is that Carr realizes he is Force-sensitive, and his goal, his sort of life's objective or mission, may not be to be a Jedi Knight. It's to be, a, for lack of a better term, historian. Yeah, His goal is essentially, he believes his purpose is to learn the history of the Jedi and keep track of it, to write it down. So that way their history doesn't fall away to time. Because to him, you know, he doesn't even know if they were, like, he believes the Jedi were real. But that's a whole part of the first half of the book is convincing other people around him that, no, the Force is real, the Jedi are real, you have to believe in this because I know it exists. And so it's very interesting that we have this important slot in publishing being filled by this character Mm -hmm. at such an odd spot in the timeline. And so that basically brings me to what is the importance of this story? You know, is this a character who we think maybe we'll see uh, being trained by Ray later? Is this a character who will work his way in and tell Ray, Oh yes, Hmm. you know, you may not have had a chance to get to know Luke, but I know his whole story and I can fill you in. I can tell you the things you don't know. Yeah. Who is this character? I mean, he's so young. We know he's got a vivid, a long history ahead of him. Yes. And so I just find it very interesting that this book, this character, this story was published when it was, where in the timeline it is, Mm -hmm. what the sort of overall message of the story ends up being. And the fact that Star Wars 
in the span of like a month because the Jedi Fallen Order came out, I think, at the beginning of November and this came out in the middle. Okay. We got two pieces of media where the Jedi's main unique power is psychometry. Yeah. I find it all very interesting and convenient, don't you? Yeah. Well, okay. So let's frame some stuff. So one thing that I think is important is we have seen this concept of psychometry existing in Star Wars for a really, really long time. It's a place that a lot of early writers said, well, if this is mostly like telepathy is one of the most important powers we've seen. And we've seen this light use of telekinesis. So Mm -hmm. the idea that we can read thoughts or send thoughts Mm -hmm. mentally and that we can receive them and that we can move things with our mind a little bit. This is before the prequels where, where they start becoming super heroes. Yeah. Um, it wasn't surprising that we were sticking to psychic phenomenon, which are fairly low key powers. All yeah. things considered. Yeah. Cause uh, I can think of one place where there's a little psychometry, but it's not a good example, which is the glove of Darth Vader, which holds on to his psychic residence and can choke people because it's dumb. Um, but I think what you, you see is a lot of people thought that was an interesting power, but it never made it really to Canon until Quinlan Voss in writing sort of became the first one, um, you know, even before Disney became, he had this ability. Like he could, he could pull from the mundane world information through the force that most other people couldn't see. And that's yeah. why he's like an investigator is kind of his yeah, thing. Yeah. Detective. Yeah. He, he's running around and he's just solving problems that other Jedi are ill-equipped to because they don't have this insight into the mundane world the way he does. And he's mm-hmm. a much more grounded Jedi. He's a much more person of the galaxy mm-hmm. than most of his Jedi brethren. Yes. He's for lack of a better term, scraping the dark side mm-hmm. more than a lot of our other characters in the prequel era. And what's interesting is I, I think especially now, especially after the rise of Skywalker, we are meant to believe that you need to, understand both aspects of the force light and dark to truly conquer it i think that's kind of where things are headed i think that there has to be a balance and if you don't find that balance within yourself then there will be always a force to balance you out you know what book does a really good job of describing that balance is um the dawn of the jedi book Mm. the one that ties into those comics we talked about before a little bit Mm -hmm. um that's a really interesting book, too, because it, it does a good job of framing this character who is, for lack of a better term, I think kind of the purest version of a Jedi we've ever seen in that she follows the Force. She yeah. kills when she has to. She's willing to be intimidating and strong. Basically, she does things that I think the prequel Jedi would say are traits of the dark side. Yeah. But she talks about how she feels the dark and the light imbalance with her at all times. And she right. talks about how when she feels herself slipping towards one way, she has to kind of adjust and maneuver her her senses in a way that make it so she can continue to walk that line. And I, and I think... Um, especially with the concept of the dyad, that's kind of what we're seeing here. Well, yeah, you and I both have the pet theory that when Rey leaves, she may use the title Jedi, but she's not 
she's not what the old Jedi was. She's a more holistic being. She yeah. has an understanding of both and a balance of both yeah. in her going forward. Yeah. I, yes. Um, so you have Quinlan Voss, who, again, sort of establishes in canon because he gets ushered into new canon as having this power. And then it all just explodes as we almost start seeing this as an uncommon, but a lot of people have it power when essentially Ray has it in the force awakens. Yeah. She touches the lightsaber. She gets this psychic pulse of resonance. She sees things she could not have seen. Yeah. They can only be explained by messages of the force being yeah. unlocked in her mind by touching this lightsaber. Yeah. Now it's all very abstract because we don't know how much of that she retained. We don't mm-hmm. know how much she understood. We, the audience are going like, Oh my gosh, it's cloud city. She doesn't know what Cloud City is, so she might not understand that. She doesn't yeah. know who the Knights of Ren are. She could be in, in Rise of Skywalker going like, oh, those guys. Yeah. <laughs> I saw them before. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's, I think, just it was a way for in this age of lost information where the mm-hmm. Jedi, you know, the Jedi were so vilified and so denounced during the Empire that they are they're myths they're like trying to understand druids in our world of like well you can kind of piece together what they might have worn and what they were kind of like but like their image is so lost Mm -hmm. by 30 years after you know um after the dark times that like it's it's hard to understand it so it's a great way to teach the audience and these characters about it in a way that makes sense. So I'm just saying that psychometry is a really useful storytelling tool as well as an interesting power that's manifesting in the galaxy. And it could be also, you know, you can get into the forces using people like Carr to get that story out as people like, um, you know, are, uh, are the members of the Jedi, the church of the Jedi are being slaughtered. So the other lore keepers are going away. So it's got to find some sort of way to keep those stories going. And, I think Carr, if I have a guess of kind of your original question, mm-hmm. like what what's his purpose in this? I think from a real world standpoint, a publishing standpoint, it's to help you set up the fact of going forward, or at least when you watch this movie in a month, get okay with the idea they're going to be force users who don't have to fall down the Jedi Sith path. Yeah. That people like Finn are going to be force sensitive and that's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. They're going to be your your Han Solos kind of things where uh, the Force yeah. is working with them. But guess what? They don't have to pick up a lightsaber. They don't have to go wear robes of tan or black. They can just yeah. be Force-sensitive and it's okay. I get that. But didn't we already have that with Leia? I would say so until you watch that movie in Rise of Skywalker and you see that she was trained in a Jedi, as a Jedi and became a Jedi, made her decision not to wear yeah. tan robes. Yeah. Like, she... We had her pursue that yeah. and decide not to. Yeah. I think what this is more establishing is like Ray, that binary concept of, well, you're force sensitive time to grab you as a youngling, put you through training. You're going to learn our philosophy. You're going to agree with it, or you're going to follow the dark side. So come along. Like, I just think that we're showing that ending mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, as we see characters who are being led by the force in more obvious ways than maybe previous movies. Yeah. Um, so that's the real world reason. I think that I it's, that. it's sure. here before then. And I think the longer term thing that you could see in the galaxy is who knows what's going on in the skunk works of Disney. You know, if they, when they get to expanding 
past nine, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Whether that's a direct continuation or a time jump, um, that is an inevitability that they will keep expanding the timeline beyond. What do they want to do? And I think planting seeds like this character who can be this kind of lore master so that the stories that no one's around to tell can be told. You've got characters like Lorsen Tekka who is in that same boat. He is here to deliver the map to Luke Skywalker. He is yeah. here to talk about about you know his familiarity with Leia, though we've never seen him ever before. Right. But there are these characters that, quote unquote, know more about the universe than the characters in the universe. They're like us. They're like the audience members who have some knowledge of the way we interpret this thing. Yeah. In Rogue One, you know, the the keepers of the Will- Willis are sort of that as well. In this time where the Force has been just erased, this whole mysticism, here's two guys who are talking about it in yeah. Jedi-like terms, but like like monks. They don't understand it firsthand. They understand it as a belief. Yeah. And so I feel this kid, Car is going to maybe be used for that same purpose, especially if they do a time jump where yeah. you could have him as a 60-year-old man who's flying around his ship. He's got all these relics and he can talk about how each one of them tells a story and he can pass that knowledge on to whatever new protagonists come along. Yeah. Yeah, you're not wrong. I think that could be a good use of it. Um, I I guess my hope is I just hope we get more. Yeah. You know, well, any uh, any dangling character, that's always my, my desire is that I would like some more of them. Well, let's just say that the world's really exciting because as Disney lets the wounds heal of the sequel trilogy, the or 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 lets the stress mm-hmm. heal from uh, you know, regardless of what you feel with the sequel trilogy, it 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 we're not gonna go back there for a little bit. And you can see that the smart play right now is we're gonna let the publishing houses take the banner for a while. They are the premier Star Wars product with the High Republic. And I think you're going to see us get back to the Legends era level of some of these stories are the stories. Yeah. Um, we've already had a little bit of that with New Canon with like Lost Stars. Lost Stars is one of those like it's hard to imagine that most Star Wars fans have not read that and don't know that story because it seems so important to the proceedings Crazy, of right? Star Wars, yeah. right? Um, but that's the way it felt like back in the 90s when it's like um, if you hadn't had familiarity with some of the books. Like if you hadn't read heir to the empire, it feels like, how could you understand star Wars at the moment? (laughs) Um, And uh, I think you're going to see the publishing houses get that kind of weight back as star Wars tells smaller, more personal stories like the Mandalorian in its other pursuits or Cass and Ander and K2SO's show is going to be smaller stakes, Mm -hmm. tighter stories. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and even the Obi-Wan show is, I'll be surprised if it leaves Tatooine. Like, yeah. it it's going to be smaller scope. So the big, epic, sweeping stories are going to be published houses. And so after the High Republic hopefully does well, wh- where do they go? Yeah. They can expand on that, but maybe they'll be, hey, you know what? We're not sure what we're going to do with the sequels. So you can start writing books that are after episode nine. Go for it. Like, we might see that. We, yeah. we don't know yet. Yeah, we don't. We don't know where the story will be continued, and that's super exciting. But I agree with you for how prominent of a book he was introduced into <laughs> and the pacing of someone at least at Del Rey has an idea of what they want to do with that character. It does seem that way. Yeah, I'll, I'll be interested to see. But um, I mean, ultimately, the book's only been out five months. So 
six months. So. Have we looked at the sales chart? That probably will tell us more about whether car, <laughs> car is going to be back or not. I haven't. I know it. Um, I know among Star Wars Twitter, it was not the most. I mean, it definitely got overshadowed by uh, Resistance Reborn. But how could it not? I mean, that with the way that book was marketed. Well, the thing about is Force Collector is an interesting story, but it's not the filling the gap you're hoping to understand before you go into Episode Nine. Yeah, right. People want to know, like, well, how do the, how, how's the Resistance back up and running? Uh, you know, it's it's yeah. it's a question they want answered. So it's not surprising that's more now talked that about. I've seen Episode Nine. I'm gonna have to reread it actually and see if there's a few more, more direct hairs in there than I noticed. Yeah, maybe there's a Babu Freak reference I never noticed. Well, I still think Carnuxen is going to come back at some level yeah because if nothing else the author who wrote this book put a lot of time and built a very careful story that i'm sure they have more they want to tell about this tale i hope so i hope so well mac maybe you'll uh, be able to listen to it soon Mm -hmm. uh i'll give it another read and uh maybe we'll talk about this character again in the future that'd be nice all right for now you want to go over and uh talk about some metal oh yeah heavy metal SBDs. Because of a particular game experience to me, the scariest droids <laughs> um, in the galaxy. Super battle droids. So let's talk about the what would you call them? I guess they're the I don't they're not the mainline forces. Those are definitely the B1s. Yeah. But this is the B2. This is the heavier. I think of them kind of like the the cavalry. They're they're kind of like the heavy guns, you know. They're they're walking in. They're uh, they're they're taking down the front lines. They're big targets, you know, to kind of take blaster shots. Um, the, the, they're, they're scary. They're the heavier duties, right? Yeah. They're they're when you need um when you need, I guess almost artillery. Yeah. Um, they're a strange bunch. So the B twos, we get get to see them first. Um, in the Battle of Geonosis. Yep. Um, but what's What's interesting about them is so you instantly recognize that they're a Geonosian design because in a weird kind of going backwards thing, the battle droids look like their creators, the Geonosians. Um, and because we we engineered the battle droids in the movies and yeah. then we made the Geonosians look like For a battle sure. droid. Um, but you could see it because the B- SBDs have the same head. Now there's no neck; it's plated right into the torso, yeah. but you see that head shape, more of that vulture droid look. Yeah, yeah, yeah they do. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and when we first see them kind of like capturing um, Anakin and Padme and stuff, we see the first use of their primary weapon, which is a twin turbo laser mm-hmm. built into their arm. Mm-hmm. So they have a heavy blaster built into their forearm that they can basically twist and just point out like a gauntlet and fire. Yeah. But it's weird because they that's it. Yeah. That's their weapon is they have that. And it's only on one side. It's only built into their right arm. Yeah. The other thing we know about them is they are super duper heavy. They have heavy Durasteel armor. They can really take punishment. And everything else we know about them comes later in less than canon (laughs) uh, sources. Um, 
But yeah, it, it's always like when you get to a place where there's a little more security or a little more of an important asset, you mm-hmm. see the 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 battle droids and their um and their kind of big brother. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to put it. They're they're interesting because I mean, obviously I remember seeing them for the first time in Attack of the Clones mm-hmm. uh and just being totally mind blown about the fact that there could be another type of droid that we hadn't seen before. Right. Like how could this, Oh my gosh, I'm already so into these other battle droids. And now you're telling me there are other droids for us to learn about. Mm-hmm. Little did I know we'd get awkward, aqua droids years later. And then I'd really be happy. Also kind of uh, build it on the SBD. Mold. They do. They have that same body for sure. Uh, so the super battle droids, I mean, I, I think they're interesting. They made great toys. Um, yeah, they did. I would love a Black Series six inch super battle droid. So uh, if you could help me out with that, Hasbro, I'd be very happy. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. Um. So I do want to talk a little bit about how I feel about SBDs. Yeah, I know you're a big fan of them. So SBDs, when and 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 just even the fact I call them SBDs. So the B two super battle droid, like in the movies. We, we don't really understand their military purpose. That's why I call them kind of weird because they're just sort of there to be bigger. They're, they're, they're the, they're the, um, you know, the two bodyguards on either side of the mafia guy. They're these big, no necked, like linebacker sized, heavy droids. Yeah. And they, they, they seem almost more built for intimidation and look than they were anyone figuring out, well, what do they do to the military? I don't know. Yeah. They have wrist blasters. That's neat. <laughs> I, I guess. Yeah. Um, so when you have the content that releases around it, specifically um, the video games, they have to become one of the the types of weapons that we use, right? Yeah. Because they're one of the only baddies you can put into a Star Wars video game yeah. if you're writing about, you know, Clone Wars. So the thing that really endears me to them is the video game um, Republic Commando, which yeah. came out in 2005, right, like right before the launch of Revenge of the Sith. And in that game, you're playing a Republic Commando team, and you're going around, and you're fighting the Battle of Geonosis, and you go on other missions, um, and you eventually end up at the Battle of Kashyyyk. Um, and so your primary opponents are what we've seen in B1 battle droids, yeah. Vulture droids, um, droidicas, and the Super Battle Droids. But because of the way the mechanics of the game work, Super Battle Droids are by far the scariest things in that game. By a country mile. Mm-hmm. Because the droidicas, while terrifying to Jedi, as a agile trooper, you can kind of get right in between them, between where their two turret arms are. Mm-hmm. So they can't really push in towards you. Yeah. So you just kind of get up in front of their shield and you just keep hitting them, usually with your wrist knife, to take them down. Huh. SBDs, however, have a lot of different moves. So first off, they have the wrist blaster, so they're a threat at range. Yeah. When you get close to them, they're these big Durasteel steel monstrosities. And when you look at their hands, they basically have boxing gloves for hands. Yeah. So they do these downward punches on you that just level you. And when you start looking at the SPD that way, I'm like, oh, that thing could really hurt someone with melees. Not that we really ever see that that yeah. much. We see them like kick R2 at the beginning of Revenge <laughs> of Sith, and that's yeah. about it. Yeah. Um, the other thing that they established SBDs is that red dot that's on their chest. Mm-hmm. They establish it as an extra sets of sensors. So while some of the droids can be, you know, you can use fog and cover, like mm-hmm. SBDs know where you are at all times. They can they can just sense you and they have a better sensor package than their counterparts so they can find you. 
Mm-hmm. And then the last thing they added to SPDs, and which is in some of them, is that that left arm is not just there for show, but that it can kind of uncouple from the body and, and slide some pieces around to become a missile launcher. Yeah. Which is awful. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Why not an explosive on there, too? Yeah, no, that, that's what they need is more weapons. Mm-hmm. So SPDs, you start playing that game, you hear your troopers going, SPD! And you're like, ah, oh, crap. <laughs> and then it gets really bad because they have destroyed dispensers, which yeah. are until you put a mine on the dispenser and destroy it. They keep manufacturing droids. Yeah. So when there's an SBD dispenser, that's the hardest encounter in that entire game. Yeah. Um, and it's giving me this whole thing of like, one of the great things about um, Republic Commando as a game is you get to see what a trooper sees all this stuff as. Yeah. A B1 battle droid's not scary to a Jedi. He can he can accidentally cut through that. Like they're useless. You can throw them with the force. Like they're never a threat really to a Jedi. Yeah. But they're the main line battle complement of this civil war that's going on. So to a trooper, they're equal to a standard trooper. Yeah. They're they're bad. They're they're terrifying. They can kill you. Yeah. And Republic Commando kind of reminds you of that. And then when you start seeing the heaviers like SBDs and when you start seeing droidicas, you start realize just how dangerous these things are if you don't have a laser deflecting sword <laughs> and yeah. and Jedi powers. And it's always given me this appreciation that I think in the Clone Wars cartoon, you get some of this, too, of seeing again from that trooper's perspective. Just how dangerous some of this stuff is. Yeah. And I'm so glad we didn't have commando droids back then, because. Imagine <laughs> yeah. SBDs, intelligence, even more, but even more agile. Um, one thing I love about the super battle droids recently is seeing them in the Mandalorian. Yes. They they look so good in there. The they way they do. move and the way they shoot. Um, it's awesome seeing them all kind of move lockstep and attack of the clones. Mm-hmm. But kind of seeing them just like a couple of them making their way through a small corridor in a town. Just you clearing can a town. See how terrifying they are, I think. And I think those couple of clips do a better job of showing them being terrifying. Yeah, and, and again anything. more again, back to that. When you are a normal person staring up this seven and a half tall, like, you know, block of metal that has a gun for a hand, like they're they're intimidating and and they're 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 interesting. And I think that while they don't go beyond, obviously, the separatists, they kind of represent the underpinnings of what the empire is about of, like I said, they're more effective as a weapon of fear. They're intimidating mm-hmm. and scary. And yeah. that is something that the B1s are not. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. There is no Roger Roger coming out of the Super Battle Droids. <laughs> well, it is, but it's like super grab <laughs> Roger Roger. Like, because uh, uh, especially by the time Matt Wood and his team chose the voice for like Revenge of the Sith, it's like. They're so deep. So gruff, yeah. They're so gravelly. Like, it's <laughs> like Satan's voice. They're just so deep. Yeah, they are. It's good. Uh, what a great droid. Yeah. What a great droid. I uh, Like I said, give me a six inch. I would like a six inch of all give, the droids. Give me a toy, yeah. That uh, that original, so they made the B1 finally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's great because on the backpack, it's got the little antennas that come out and go oh, up and down, which is a ton of fun. That's nice. Uh, so I'm a big fan of that. And it folds up. So if they can make that, they can make an SBD. Oh. I'll pay the 30. I'll, I'll buy a deluxe figure. 
I think you oh man, you give me a, like a three pack that's like a, a special painted B1, a Droidica, and I don't know how much that would cost. But. I'd be all on board for that. We need more. We need more packs that aren't troopers. God Almighty, I'm so. Well, tired these of are troopers, different... except the difference is well, they're not just true. repaints. Sorry, yeah. You have to actually get different molds for all the troops in the other army. Fair enough. All right, Mac. Well, this was a ton of fun. Thank you for educating me a little bit about uh, SBDs. I know how much you like them. I do. I really do. Awesome. Anything else? That's it. All right. Let's move on to the end. Right, here we go. We finished another one. Another one in the can. A great day. A uh, great day. You know, <laughs> a great day you know? for Star Wars. A great day for Star Wars fans. <laughs> we have seen the end of the rebellion. We've seen the beginning uh, of Leia. Oh yeah. The it, middle of Cal Nuxin yeah. and the the end of the SBD because the SBD doesn't go beyond Episode Three. It stops right there. Yeah, that's true. We never really see any more battle. Well, we do see battle droids after that, but no super battle droids, do we? Are there super Even battle then, droids it, in that Rebels episode where Kanan and Ezra have to fight their that commando droid you know what, that's there, been there? There might, might be, be but the, the whole there. point is is is. They're remnants of a bygone age. Most yeah. of them get smelted down into yeah. stars, destroyer parts. Like I assume that's what they make them yeah. do, too. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, totally. All right. Well, Mac, this was a lot of fun for me this week. Um, I'm excited about these topics. I like this. It's kind of an interesting it's one. Like a, yeah, yeah, change up from our normal batch of topics. I don't know why. Um, well, you know, we're, we're locked in doors, thinking of different things, thinking outside the box because we're <laughs> we in a box. We are going, we are slipping into madness a little bit more every uh, day. Everyone is. It's fine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, so yeah, no, it's it it's it's really fun and it's really great and um, it's exciting times in Star Wars as we approach the Star Wars High Holiday. We have some really exciting stuff coming up with the yeah. the new Mandalorian Gallery series. We get to see more behind the scenes of that. They've made announcements for May Fourth of like we're getting things like the Doctor Afra book Clone is coming. Clone Wars is ending. Clone Wars is ending. Um, Rise of Skywalker comes to Disney Plus on May Fourth. So yep. Uh, you know, and shortly big. after that, Star Wars Racer will come out on, <laughs> That's on right. the Nintendo Switch. That's right. So there's a lot of stuff. This is shaping up to be one of our best May Fourths for content ever which is weird very weird <laughs> it's very weird because it's very gonna be a weird, weird may 4th <laughs> very weird it's gonna be a whole weird year in general uh for star wars so mac hey uh it's been a blast we hope you've enjoyed it and in, until we meet again my name is mac and i'm ross and until next wednesday may the force be with you This production is not endorsed by any other property and is the sole responsibility of Mac Purvis III, Ross Greco, and those involved in its production. It is meant for entertainment purposes only. Other than content provided by this production's providers, all music, music clips, sound bites, rights are reserved, and the respective owners have not endorsed any aspect of this show. Copyright 2020.